please take a copy of the Word of God and turn to Luke's Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John in the New Testament. Turn to Luke chapter 11. Our text this morning will be Luke chapter 11, the last clause of verse 4. We have been listening to the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ regarding prayer. The disciples asked, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus began by teaching them not how to pray, but what to pray. And so we've been dealing with and looking in detail here uh, at those five prayer requests in the Lord's Prayer, Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer, or we should say maybe the disciples' prayer. So let's read, follow along as I start reading. We'll read our passage in verses 1 through 4. Luke chapter 11, starting at verse 1. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And then our passage this morning, and lead us not into temptation and lead us not into temptation bow with me as we pray father our prayer is straightforward this morning that the word that is preached this morning would come not in man's wisdom but would come in the power of the Holy Spirit with full conviction. Conviction of sin and a conviction that we serve a Savior that is greater than all of our sin. That we would right now, by by the power of the Holy Spirit, would pray with the psalmist in Psalm 19 that the words, that the words of our mouths at this time of preaching and the meditations of our hearts in the listening as well be acceptable in Thy sight. And we confess as a church that we pray to our Lord our rock, and our Redeemer. And we are astounded that we can call Him Father. Come now, Lord. Meet with us in Your Word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. A few years ago, I was driving uh, down to Iowa and I was driving to do some uh, 
some research with a sports doctor of chiropractic in Iowa. And I was traveling with a um, person uh, who I was a colleague with at the university. We were traveling to do this research together. And we were traveling about 70 miles an hour on the freeway. And in front of me, the... <clears throat> The freeway looked weird. I thought it might want to be one of those mirages you can get in the heat when the, the shimmering of the, of, uh, on the road. It was a strange appearance. I'm not sure why the, it didn't hit me what was happening, but by the time it did, it was too late. What was happening is there was just one cloud. When I mean one, I mean it was that, that had just dropped all of its water at, in just one small portion of the road. And we drove into a wall of water at 70 my colleague and I, and we started going at 70 sideways on the freeway without any squealing. We were hydro completely hydroplaning. And I looked to him and he looked to me and all we said is, he said, we're going to die. <laughs> that was nice. <laughs> I said two words as I gripped the steering wheel. Lord, help. That's all I could say. And how it played out was we just we were going to the sideway and then we went and it was just a downpour. We went into the ditch at 70 sideways. And it was so much water in the ditch from just this sudden downpour that we were just kind of just shaking and sliding in along the ditch. We didn't turn over. And we went for hundreds of yards and came to stop in the ditch. <laughs> and we looked at each other and I... I trust that I had a witnessing opportunity the rest of the way. <laughs> Didn't have a four-wheel drive, but drove right out of that ditch and made it to do the research. God answered that prayer, and it reminded me that there is danger in this life. There is physical danger in this life. There's physical danger in this life. But the greatest danger that we face is not physical. It's not emotional. The greatest danger that Christians face is spiritual. There is a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. There are enemies within, an enemy within, and there are enemies without that would like to devour us. We need spiritual protection. We need to be protected by our Father. And that is the whole issue of the last request in the disciples' prayer. It is a prayer for spiritual protection, it is a prayer spiritually. And you've been there. Lord, help. Lord, help. So this morning, what we're going to do is we are going to answer four questions about this prayer for protection. And we're going to really take a deep dive into a very important section of Scripture. We're going to be flipping to a number of passages today, so get ready, that'll, that'll be fun. Number one, what does, this, what does this request for protection mean? 
and lead us not into temptation. First of all, it, it, it doesn't mean that we pray to... Now listen, it doesn't mean that our const, the constant reverberations of our prayers are, Lord, keep me from any kind of trial in my life. Put me in a bubble of Your comfort so that I would never experience any trial. It's not what this text means to pray this way. Some have taken it that way, and I will admit that there is a place to pray, Lord, I need, your, I need some rest here. Okay, we've all felt that. But that is not at the heart of this request. Okay, the other thing that this doesn't mean is what you're all thinking right now. Many of you are thinking this. Hold on a second. I already have a problem with this passage. And it is this. I thought, having read my Bible, that that God doesn't tempt anyone. And here it says, Father, don't lead us into temptation. I feel like it's saying that God is the one who is tempting us and we're praying that He wouldn't. That maybe that is what this text means. Well, if you're thinking that, I don't think that you're, you're out of line to have that question. So keeping your finger in Luke chapter 11, I want you to turn over to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. We read this. Uh, Rick Dodge read this in our scripture reading. James chapter 1. And I would say absolutely, you are, you are correct um, <clears throat> about God. So let's read about it in James chapter 1, verse 13. The text says, Let no one say when he is tempted, he's speaking to Christians here, right? In James, uh, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. Why? For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But, and we can relate to this, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by what? His own lust. Do you see it? His own lust. And when that lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. And so I would say temptation, if you want to define temptation here this morning, it is when you are being lured into, dragged into sin. Now, the text says, and, and it it is, for you fisher people out there, it is that rapala that is in front of the fish that the fish is following and deciding whether he's going to go after it. It's that luring into sin. 
God never lures, dangles sin and wants to get people to sin. Agree? Okay. James chapter 1. Back to our passage now. Flip back to Luke chapter 11. And let me explain this a little bit more. This word translated, this Greek word, which I won't say, translated temptation, could also be translated, it's the same word, even in James 1, it can be the same word. It could be translated in temptation, or it could be translated, that same word could be translated a test, or testing. It's interesting. So just listen, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. I want to positively proclaim this passage. God does not tempt us ever in order for believers to fall into evil or to succumb to the evil one. But God certainly tests us in order that, He's got a purpose in mind. You know what the purpose is? He tests us in order that we might believe in Him. And by believing and seeing His glory, we might be transformed into the image of Christ. It is true that there's a give and take in this that's a mystery. So let's just face it. I mean, it's true that the trials in our lives that come because of our own what? Flesh. Because of our flesh. This is the world's message and the devil and his minions. Trials that are meant by God for our good are turned and become temptations to sin. That can happen. On the other hand, it's kind of like Jesus. You remember when Jesus went into the wilderness? He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Okay. Deal with it. He was led by the Spirit, not for the Son of Man to be what? Corrupted by sin. It was led by the Spirit of God to confirm that He was the Messiah and that He would stand upon the Word of God. The same event was used by two different, for two different purposes. Satan takes these things that happen in our life as a means to our corruption. God means them and allows them for confirmation of faith. And it's not faith that is so exciting to the Christian. It is proof of faith. Confirmed faith that 1 Peter chapter 1 says gets us all riled up. So Satan takes these events as our means to our corruption. God means them for a confirmation of faith. At the men's retreat, and I don't know men who are at the retreat, do you remember this? I listened to this. Um, Joe mentioned for us to, um, to watch this 13-minute video. Do you remember that, Brian? To watch this 13-minute video by 
Johnny Erickson Tata. Do you remember that? So I, I had a hard time finding it. I'll send, if someone reminds me, I'll send the link to, the, to us as a church. So I found it, found the one that said 13 minutes because there's all kinds of videos, right? So I found the one that's 13, I listened to that, and this was the one. Of course, if you may not know, kids, you may not know or you may not have heard of Johnny Erickson Tata. Johnny is a woman who was paralyzed, and she's in her 70s now. She was paralyzed from the neck down at age 17 in a diving accident. Broke her neck. It's now 40 years later from that event in this video. She's in a wheelchair, and it's not just in a wheelchair, uh, you know, writing with, her, her, with a pen in her teeth and being an artist. It's that she is in terrible, chronic pain. Unbearable. She's bearing it, but it's unbearable. That's the sort of attention. But Johnny has not wasted her pain. What Satan means for evil, God meant for good. Now let me say that again. This is Genesis chapter 50. That's your homework assignment. There's one of them. There's going to be two. One homework assignment is to read Genesis chapter 50 today, where Joseph announced to his brothers at the end of that whole famine thing and that big mess of prison and all of the bad stuff, he says, what Satan meant for evil, God meant, or what they did when Satan was behind it, that sin of throwing their brother into the pit and selling him to slavery, God meant it for good, same event. And Johnny says in this video about her life, and it was very helpful, Listen to this, and we'll have to think about it. It may may not be as theologically precise as I like, but I'm going to say it. She said that, I think it's good. She says, quotes, speaking about her life, God allows what He hates. He allows it. God allows what He hates to accomplish what He loves in us. End quotes. You think about that for a while. God allows what He hates to accomplish what He loves in us. So listen, this is, God would never try to attract us with sin in order to entice us and cause us to fall. That's not a good view. And, and God's not asking us, we're not praying to God, God, would you kindly stop, please, and, not, and stop leading me into temptation? He's also not praying, would you kindly you know, not give me trials anymore? What is he saying then? What does this prayer request mean? This is a prayer then, here's what it means. This is a prayer that God would protect us from temptation that would lead us into sinning against Him. This is a prayer to God that He would so, so orchestrate the events in our lives that the evil one, the devil and his demons, the, the flesh, the inward sin, that the world would not get the upper hand in our lives, that, that would not lead us into doubts and unbelief. This is a prayer that God would, that God would protect us spiritually, that He would keep us and not allow us by these trials, to move into any, anything that would overwhelm us. Lord, if there's a trial or a situation, Lord, keep me from anything 
that would cause me to sin against you or, or, or travel in a persistent pattern of sin or, 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 or to, to stop believing in you. To doubt you. And this is confirmed by the parallel passage in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Don't turn to it, but write the reference down. Matthew 6 verse 13. In that Matthew's version, uh, which is longer, of Luke's Lord's Prayer. <clears throat> Matthew 6 13. <clears throat> and do not lead us into temptation. What? Come on, work with me. But deliver us from evil. So that's the same principle spoken of, you know, two sides of the coin almost positively. God is a prayer for you to deliver us from the evil, which is a good word because it kind of covers two topics, the evil within, and it could be translated the evil one. So it's the, all of the enemies that are against us. We're praying that He would what, deliver us. That's what that means. So we're praying that we wouldn't be overcome by the power of sin from within. We're praying that we'd be kept from stumbling. We are praying that we wouldn't be plunged into a situation that we, were, that we, we would sin against God. Think of it. Sin against the Holy One. Sin against this Gospel. Do we think of sin as such a horrible thing that we'd have to pray that previous prayer request? That we pray that we, we don't want to have broken fellowship with you, Father. We hate that. We're praying that we would be kept from that sin. But we know we have an advocate with the Father if we do sin. And this flows out of a heart that makes its ambition to be pleasing to the Lord. Lord, I mean, this, here's this request. Lord, and this is the prayer. It can look like so many different things. Lord, I don't want to look at that. Please forgive me. Please help me. Strengthen me. Lord, I said it again. I don't want to be harsh with my wife. And here I go. Forgive me. Or, as the men learned in the conference, I'm hurting. I'm alone. I'm angry. I'm tired. I'm stressed. Lord, help. Help me. Or, Lord, I'm being overwhelmed by so many different things. I can't. Lord, help. And I want you, believer, to understand if you're feeling like that, oh, praise God, that means you're in the game. You're in the battle. You're in the struggle. Lord, help. That's the best prayer there is. <laughs> it's the concluding prayer. And I'll tell you what, it's a promise that we can take to the bank. And it's true of every believer. Now, because it's a promise, I want you to see that it's a promise from another passage of God's Word. And for the sake of time, and you, and you know the verse, I, I'm not going to have you turn to it unless you're fast, but write down this verse and memorize it. This would be a good memory verse. 1 Corinthians 10 you know where I'm going. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. Listen to this promise in God's Word. Okay? I'll just read it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. We need to know that. 
No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, which he does not bring, but allows sometimes, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will, you will be able to endure it. Therefore, in light of that promise, he says, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Based on that, run. Lord, help. Run. So that's the promise. That's Paul explaining this passage. So it's true that this is going to be, we're, we're never going to have a shortage of prayer requests from the last three provision, pardon, right? Forgiveness last time and now protection. We're never going to have a shortage of prayer requests. This makes sense of pray continually. Come on. Does it not? If you're wondering what that means. We pray, let me, let me explain that. Our eyes land on inappropriate images or things. We pray. Our heart is angry towards our co-worker or our brother or sister or spouse. We pray. We feel a temptation to lie in order to get ahead financially or to spin the truth at work to favor us and so we pray. We've got a conflict with our husband or wife and we've got to humble ourselves and I don't want to but my new man wants to. And so we pray. Our child is not opening up to us and is hurting. We don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. We want to reach them. And so we pray. We feel the fear come upon us when we have an opportunity for the gospel of Christ and that fear comes and the sweat breaks out on our forehead. But we know, and you know it, there's a time when, well, maybe I shouldn't right now. Maybe that's the spirit. But there's a time when you know that you know. The time is now. You right, Christian? To witness? You felt that? And you're like, it's go time. And you're afraid. And so you do what? You pray. Right there. Lord, help. And will He help us? What percentage of the chance will He help us? This is the promise. What a privilege it is to be a child of God and to be able to pray this way. Oh, Father, help me to go to battle. The theologian Witsius wrote, quotes, W-I-T-S-I-U-S, wrote, whoever has God for his friend will find Satan to be his enemy. What does this request mean? It means a prayer for spiritual protection, not to be overwhelmed by temptation and the power of sin. Now we're going to go deep and figure out what this means. Number two, second question, why? Why do we need help? Let's press this home. Listen up, kids. Why do we need this kind of help from God? 
A couple of weeks ago at the men's retreat in uh, Wisconsin, uh, Brandon and I were, were in the gift shop. We were in the gift shop and we were doing a little shopping. We came across a pilgrim, the book Pilgrim's Progress. We are talking about Pilgrim's Progress a little bit. It was your second homework assignment first. I already gave you the second homework assignment is to find a good translation, maybe not the old one, you get discouraged, uh, an updated translation of the Pilgrim's Progress and read it. We were looking at the Pilgrim's Progress book and it reminded me of a children's version of this, of this book, a bigger book, uh, great pictures. It's called The Dangerous Journey. Kids, you need to know that to follow Christ is a dangerous journey. It's not hypothetical danger. It's real danger. Adults, is no joke. We're at war with this. It's a dangerous journey. There are enemies. The world and its system. The flesh. The enemy within. The devil himself in his structured demonic force. We know the Bible says in 1 John 2.16. 1 John 2.16 For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. I need the time for the sermon on the back or it's going to be really, really long. And the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. This, the world is passing away and also it's lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. And so we have this, now listen, this is helpful. Um, thanks to Kevin DeYoung for the second half of this, but we have, according to John, these enemies of the uh, this threefold enemy of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. These common enemies of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And, and, and you, if you want to remember these common enemies that flow out of that from without and from within, it's, it's the enemy of obsession with pleasure. The enemy of undiscovered pride. Unresisted pride. And the enemy of power. Pleasure, pride, and power. These are the enemies and there's dangers. And our Father has promised to protect us from them. And the means to the end for God our Father bringing help in this passage is prayer. He always answers it, but it's, it's not in a bubble. We don't just go our own way passively. We're engaged in the battle. And God answers prayer and protects us. Sin is deceitful. We don't think we have problems. We're blame shifting. We're not looking at our hearts. But we have to get busy looking at our hearts. We can't take a pet sin and say, that's mine. I'm caging it up because it's ugly. It's done some damage. But from time to time, I take the caged beast out and because of my day, I get to play. We can't do that kind of business within, with sin. It's dangerous. Lies are dangerous from this world system. The devil is not passive. And your flesh is waging war against the soul. So it's a prayer. That according to 1 Peter chapter 2.11, the next verse from our, 
fighter verse, Beloved, I urge you as strangers and aliens to abstain from the fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. So ultimately, as we think about the world of flesh and the devil and these three Ps, you know what this all boils down to? Where you can really laser point this where the dangerous is, the biggest danger of all, are you ready? Is a danger and a failure to believe. All of this boils down to one thing. Listen, the danger of unbelief, of forfeiting faith, of doubt. The book of Hebrews is rife with this, filled with this theology and the danger of unbelief. The book of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Lord, don't allow me to be hardened. Lord, stir me up to love you and to hate my sin. Please forgive me for being so slow to confess it and to repent. Show me your glory, Lord. I just need to see it. It just needs to be more pleasurable and satisfying to me than this sin that I'm struggling with. Lord, show me your glory today when I come to the Word of God and the preaching of the Word of God. This is how Christians pray. This is our very heart. This is a prayer for protection. The saints of old prayed this way all the time. Let me remind you of a couple examples. Psalm 141, verse 8. That can't be 16 minutes, right? You had to fast forward that a little bit, right, Chad? Psalm 141, verse 8. For my eyes are toward you, O God the Lord. In you I take refuge. Do not leave me defenseless. Or... 2 Samuel 22, verse 3. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. Or you come to the New Testament, maybe to 2 Thessalonians 1. Verse 11, 2 Thessalonians 1.11, To this end also we pray for you always, that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. So this is our daily prayer, that we would not fall into the power of sin. We need protection from falling into unbelief. It leads me to the third question. I'm going to be very brief on this. What does, because we've mentioned it, what does this request for help say about us? And when I mean us, I mean believers. Because believers are the ones that call God Father and pray this prayer. What does that say about believers? It, you know, it just says that we can't stand sin in ourselves. We, it keeps us up at night. We're convicted by it. When, when we persist in it, the heavy hand of God is on us. We love Jesus and we can't believe we did it again. It's awful. 
it tells us something about the heart of the person that prays, Lord, lead us not into temptation. It isn't just a ritual that we pray. This flows from a heart. It is made sensitive to sin and made sensitive to Christ. In fact, it says, Lord, forgive us of that sin. I, you're a good father. You're way better than me. Please forgive me for that. I can't stand when I'm out of fellowship with you. It's not a head knowledge kind of Christian. No, this is not cultural Christianity. This is not externalism, false gospel, trying to earn favor with God kind of Christianity. You pray this prayer from the position of God as your Father. You pray this prayer from a broken, humbled heart just deeply in need of the grace of Christ. You pray this prayer realizing that, that this is a re the real deal and that you're in the battle and at war. What does this request say about us? It says we've been given a new heart to enter into this kind of prayer. Third, or fourth, Okay, now we get to application and try to figure this out a little bit. Let's just work this out as we get to number four. How does God grant us protection? Or how does God grant us help? Okay, I want you to, to know this. The first thing that you've got to really reckon with is this. Our Father will protect His children to the end. This is a promise. One of the, isn't it true that one of the big satanic lies is to get us not to believe that or that we've got to earn that protection or worse, earn that salvation in the first place. It's a lie that will undermine any growth in the Christian life. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 121. I want you to see this. He will deliver us. It's a famous passage. But I want you to see this as the psalmist meant it. As ultimately about spiritual protection even in Psalm 121. So listen to this. I'll read it quickly. Psalm 121 verse 1. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip he who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. It's the Old Testament. Spiritual protection. And we look at that again in the New Testament. Philippians 1.6. Think of this about spiritual protection. Philippians 1.6. For I am confident of this very thing, that He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Now how will He do this? Now listen very carefully. It's not in a vacuum. There's real danger. There's real protection. It's a real walk with Christ. You've got to get over that rub. It's a real rub. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, 
the best theological verse on the protection that we have supplied by God is in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. This is good. You can look up these verses later. 1 Peter 1, let's start at verse 3. Now listen to these words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Isn't that wonderful? It's all there. It's undefiled. It's reserved for you. That sounds pretty certain. And so he moves on to the means of that certainty in the next verse. Most important verse that I know of theologically for the protection of God. Right here. The how. Verse 5. How are we protected? Who are protected. There it is. There it is. Who are protected by the power of God. What's the next two words say? Through faith. For a salvation ready to reveal for the last time. So we're protected by God, by God's power. How? Through faith. That's the how. God protects us from unbelief, which makes sense, by what? Granting us faith. God does that in answer to our prayers. <laughs> and so imagine you're in a dangerous situation spiritually. God has promised a way of escape. Escape from sin and unbelief. And He's promised that way of escape by believing that sin is bad and Christ is so glorious. And faith that, that His name will be set apart. Faith that His kingdom is bigger than this. That this is not part of it. His kingdom will come. And we're protected through faith that God is our Father. God will provide. I don't need to be afraid right now. God will forgive. I, I dare not be out of fellowship with Him. God, give me help. And we trust, we turn from the danger and that sin, and we trust in Jesus. And this is how God keeps us through turning from that to trust in Jesus. That's how He does it. That's the how. You think about Peter. Big mouth Peter, right? Little, little girl, slave girl comes along and he's undone. Anybody been there? Discouraged. He is so discouraged for his sin, he's going back to, fish, to fishing. But don't forget that Jesus predicted this failure by Peter, did He not? And what did Jesus promise to Peter before that? Peter didn't have, he, I don't think he even listened to this. He was so convinced he would never do it. I'm not sure he heard it the first time. But in Luke 22.31, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan, Satan has demanded permission. Satan's on a leash. Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. So, and you, once you have turned again, once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Get back to work. Strengthen your brothers. So, this prayer is answered by that charcoal file and the uh, fire, and Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And he's restored back to service. 
and trust in His Savior. The glories of His Savior have overwhelmed His sin because He serves a Savior that is greater than all of His sin. So God protects us. Listen, summary. God protects us as we pray by granting us faith to believe that Jesus is much more precious than that pleasure, that pride, or that power. And so we pray, lead us not into temptation. Now, so this is where I get convicted. Because we are so much more concerned as people about the mundane, non-sinful things in our lives. Come on. I mean, if I lose $1,000 for being stupid, I'm much more upset about that than when I sin against God. I would cry over spilled milk more than my sin. The devil has got us where he wants us, if that's the way that we are thinking. We stress about the stuff we've messed up. We haven't even sinned. We stress about what we're going to wear. We stress about what, how, how much we're going to pay for the alternator. We stress whether or not the Vikings won or lost. We stress about we don't have a new picture to put on the wall, and you can watch the Vikings if you want, and you can put a picture on that wall. But isn't there something bigger happening in our lives? Which is why we pray for God's glory, what? First, and then our good. But this whole argument of the passage is just to help us see that there's something bigger about our lives and a bigger Savior. Now, we need then, if faith is the means, we need to have faith in two truths. Faith in two truths. Number one, listen, and I mean this, faith is in the truth of God's Word. Not just the truth about Jesus in God's Word, but the faith in the truth of all of God's Word. Therefore, for today, I'll cover at least two essentials. Number one, we have to have faith to believe that there's danger. Don't we? And that we also then have to have faith to believe that our daddy, our Abba, our father is good, all powerful and faithful and will keep his promises. This whole passage is always arguing from the lesser to the greater. Daddy, even we forgive. We're, we're evil fathers and we don't give scorpions. That trial, he's not going to give you a scorpion meant to sting you to death and annihilate you spiritually? It's not our God. That's not the heart of our God. May we have faith. Yes, there's danger. But in who He is, in His character, that He's a good, good Father in all of the events of our lives. And that He's going to keep us. We need faith in, yes, and we miss the faith in the danger part a lot of time. But faith in who He is. That He will not leave us or forsake us. He will never fail us. The hymn writer is right. Prone to wander. Apart from what certain pastors say. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. 
That is the Christian life. But here, it's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for the courts above. We knew the danger, but we also know our good Father. And so we sing, when I fear, come on, when I fear, my faith will fail. He will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, He will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. It captures the passage. Will He? How do we know? And we will close on this, and I'm going to be a little over. I'm so sorry. I tried to actually go shorter today. It's not working. Pray for me. But we can't end without this. How uh, just everyone stand up? Everyone, stay, kids, stand up. Move around because I don't want. If we lose this last part, we're done. I want to take a drink of water. Sit down. Here we go. Here we go. We're ready. I want you to get this. How do we really know? We need faith. So here we go. We're going to build faith. We're not going to just talk about it. We're going for it. Turn in your Bibles to John 17. I think that Chad messed up the timing, so I think I actually have more time. Right, Chad? Right, Chad? Is that really what happened? John chapter 17. This is Jesus Christ and His high priestly prayer. He prayed for Peter, and He prays for us. Here's His prayer. John 17, start at verse 11. Okay, follow along. John 17, 11. Jesus is praying, I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the Scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. And I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world." I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf Oh, this is such a great verse. This means it's for us. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, the twelve disciples, but for those also who believe in me through their word. That's us. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, 
whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them and will make it known. Here, Look at this shocking end of his prayer. So that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. How did Christ, having prayed this high priestly prayer, how did He secure our protection from every evil of sin and unbelief? Right after His prayer, He went to the cross of Calvary. He finished our sin. He took the wrath and the danger and the destruction even of our sin upon Himself in our place. And He finished our sin. He disarmed the devil. He made a public display of Him. He paraded Him through the streets. And He proved it it was finished by rising from the dead so that we can turn to Romans chapter 8 and end with this. We could turn to Romans 8 in light of the danger. We could turn right here and say an amen with Paul all the way. Romans chapter 8. Let's look. Starting at verse 29. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom He predestined, He also called. And these whom He called, He also justified. And these whom He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is He who died. Yes, rather, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who also intercedes for us. What is He praying for? That our faith would not fail. Who, and therefore we can say, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Then He goes over the dangers. They're real. Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, we pray, Father, help. Father, lead us not into temptation.